Where's the church gone? <laughs> if you want a title this morning, continue on impurity. But the title is The Value of Life. The Value of Lives. You know, since the day of creation, since the very day creation, there's been a war going on for life and death. Since the very day man was created, there's been, a, there's been an eternal, or should it seems like an eternal, war for life. That which God gave, the enemy wants to take away. Have you noticed that? He says, in, in fact, in Acts 3.15, it says, you killed the author of life. Paul was giving him a discourse of, uh, uh, was it Peter, sorry? Peter was giving him a discourse. You, you guys are the ones who killed the author of life. And, uh, but God raised him from the dead. So even when the enemy tried to kill life, God raised him up. Because God has designed life to go on forever and ever and ever. Amen. But the enemy's role is to bring an end to life. But he can't bring an end to life because life goes on forever and ever. If not in this world, in the future world. But we're concerned about this life, aren't we? Quite rightly so. And in Genesis 4, verse 6, he said, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Anger is always attached to the attacks on life. Why is your face downcast? And the Lord says, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Your door, he says, not the door. Your door. It desires to have you. Wow. But you must master it. Jesus mastered it. He overcame. He overcame so that we can overcome. We've just been singing it. This is my story. This is my song. Amen. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So he was warned. He was educated. He was told that sin is crouching at his door, but you must master it. In this whole issue of life, you and I must master it. We must master life. And how do we master life? Well, if you read in Proverbs, it talks about wisdom. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. My son, pay attention. Do everything you possibly can. Listen to your mother. Listen to your father. That's a message that this generation needs to listen to. However, before sons and daughters listen to the fathers, the fathers should have listened to their mums and dads. You can't just expect a a kid to listen to his mum and dad when his mum and dad have never listened. True? But that's what they want. So they shout louder and louder. But there's no authority in the house. There's no influence in the house. It's gone. But he says, And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Bloodshed. He brought an end to what God had instigated life. Death is a very, very serious thing. Life is a very serious issue. Murder, right now, is a very, very serious issue in the court in South Africa. Did he do it? The issue is, whether it was premeditated, it was an accident or whatever, she's dead. A lady has lost a life. 
That is the bottom line here. Now we're just trying to establish whether he intended to do it or it was an accident. Either way, we've still lost a precious life. She had no option. She wasn't the one with the gun. So, in Genesis 9, verse 6, he says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For, the, for in the image of God, in the image of God, God has made man. Now, that's an Old Testament thing. We don't shed blood for blood now, do we? We have courts of law. We have a, a more sanctified way of dealing with injustice. See, that was revenge. And justice mixed together. Now we've separated revenge and justice. Yeah? Revenge is the work of man. Justice is the work of God. Hello? When you get angry, you just want to go and punch the guy's lights out, don't you? That's called revenge. But justice is you have to leave it to God. And that's more serious. That's hard. Because I know that works on you. That's about you now. Are you able to willingly to let go and give in and let God bring about justice for your life? But revenge, anyone can take revenge. Anyone can take revenge. But we're not of that crowd, crowd, are we? But there's a war on for your life. But not only is there a war on for your life, there's a war on for those who you love. And that is more, more uh, sobering. Sometimes you can take the punches that come to your life. But when you see your kids being hit, man, that's a different story. We, we, you know, the animal, the tiger rises up. There's nothing we won't do for our children. Isn't that true? Now, you see, to be able to willingly lay down your life for the sake of someone you love depends on two things. Do you know what it depends on? Love and value. Love and value. The person you love, you will lay your life down for. So that they continue on with life. Yeah, because you want, that's the issue here, life. The continuation of life. The protection of life. The furtherance of life. So you'll lay your life down for it. But if you don't value the life, why will you pay a price for it? You may love someone but not value them enough. So what you love and value, you'll always put a price on. So much so that in John 10, 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This command I receive from my father. My father and I share the same love and values. Yes? Jesus could willingly lay down his life because he shared the same love and value of his father. They both shared a love and a value for the world. The world was the issue. The vilest offender. Jesus, the father, the Holy Ghost, saw from afar the vilest offender. And said, we love these people so much so that we don't want them to be separated from us. We want them to be where we are. So that we have to, so in order for them to be where we are, we have to become like them so they can become like us. Hello? There's a revelation right there. They have to become like, Jesus has to become like us so we can become like him. That is a work of grace. 
And then he says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. There's love and there's value right there. He gave his only son. You, don't have, you can't have any more value and love than the one and only. Yeah? And he gave his only son that whoever believes him, so he gave him on behalf of the world. Why? So that they could have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He's demonstrating for us the value of life right at the beginning. He's willing to sacrifice his own life in order for you and me to be where he is. Wow, what tremendous love and value there is there. Jesus not only showed his love and value for the world, but for his disciples as well. So it wasn't vague. When you mention the world, I love the world. You and I can't love the world. We can't love the world. What are you telling me we can't love the world? We're told to love everyone. You can't love everyone you don't know. You can only love those who are in front of you. You can only love those you're responsible for. You can only love those you do relationship with. You can only love those you work with. Oh, you're responsible for the group that you're in. No, I can't love everybody in, in, in Russia. I don't know any Russians. I don't know any Greeks. I don't know any Turks. I only know what I know. And that's not quite a lot, by the way. So I can only love, but God loved the world. Why? Because God knows every one of us. He's working on a different premise. He knows us personally. I don't know you personally. Everyone personally, I know you. Some of you, I don't know you personally. So Jesus said in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. He didn't say I'm a shepherd. He said I'm the good one. So therefore, there must be bad ones. I'm the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. So now, the same love, the same heart, the same values that was in Jesus' heart is now transferred into others. So it's gone from the world to the disciples. His sheep. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus, you, you don't lay your life down for fools. You lay your life down where there's value, don't you? And in John 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Wow. But Peter... Interesting character in John 13, 38. Jesus answered, will you really lay your life down for me, Peter? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So here he is. Jesus has been laying his life down for his sheep, for the world. He's been telling them it's going to happen. He carries the same value system, the same love that his father and the Holy Ghost carry. And here he is telling him and now Peter thinks hey I feel the same way also yeah and then when Jesus starts telling him what's about to happen Peter no it's never going to happen oh it's going to happen and he says you know I'll do anything for you Jesus I love you as well and Peter says really uh, Jesus says really really will, will you Peter I know you think it and I know I think in your head you think you'll go there but even tonight you'll deny me three times wow 
Sometimes when we're praying, we'll say, Lord, I'll do anything for you. God says, really? Will you? Will you? Will you? And you say, oh, yes, Lord, I will. I will. Tears down your face. You think tears mean sincerity. They don't. It just means you're emotional. Yeah? Sometimes they do mean sincerity. But only God knows the difference between sincere tears and emotional tears. Yeah? Either way, emotions are involved. We know that. You know, some people can cry you a river. Can't they? Some people can cry you a river just like that. But they're not sincere. The babies are great ones, aren't they? <laughs> not a single tear. They just learn that. That's what you do in order to get what you want. Yeah? Well, you know what? We don't, we're no different. We've just learned to do the same. And then we put language behind it. And only God can see what's insincere, impure, and what's pure. I love watching the kids when they stop. And then all of a sudden, there's not a tear in sight. You're thinking, you're fake. You're fake. Then he smiles at you. Ah, you're so smart. Yes, we're such a, That's how our father does with us. Amen. But Peter, Peter had not yet learned to carry this same love and value. His heart was not pure at this stage. His heart may have been sincere, but it wasn't pure. Because God had not yet worked on his heart enough for Peter to lay his life down for the same value with the same love. Peter's got to go through a whole revelation. Peter's got to understand that, that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to him on a roof and he's going to speak to him about the church and he's going to be faced with a group of people called the Gentiles that he doesn't like. So his heart's going to be exposed towards a race of people that all his life he's been told don't associate with. Yes? So Peter thinks he loves everyone. But he's, but he's a race called the Gentiles, and that's you and I, who he does not yet know. But he's going to have to love. And he's going to have to do the same thing as Jesus done, has done, because he's going to have to buy into the same level of love and value that Jesus has. For God so loved the world. He didn't just say God so loved the Jews. For God so loved the world. So Get ready for your heart to be changed towards specific genders, specific nations. As you begin to rise up and you say, Lord, do something in my heart. God will give you love and feelings and values for what's on his heart. Some of you will be drawn into dark places, not to dark, but to rescue. But don't go alone. Don't go alone. Don't just go with a motivation of love. Go with wisdom. Go with backup. Yeah? Don't go on your own and think, I'm on my own. Well, if you're on your own, guess what? I just need me and the Holy Ghost. Wrong. That's why I put you in a body. That's why I put you in a body. That's why he says, submit to your leaders. Out of love and reverence. Love, same value system. You can't just love God and hate his church. You can't love his church but hate mankind. It's not, it's, it, it's, it's hypocritical. Yeah? So God loved the world. So Peter, you'll disown me three times, but it's okay, Peter. We'll, we'll get through this. We'll get through this. And eventually, Peter, at the outcome of all this, you'll carry what I carry. You'll value what I value. You'll uphold what I uphold. And you'll die for what I die for. And through you, Peter, I'm going to build a church. Through men like you, Peter, I can build a church and I can give you the keys. 
But at that point, Peter did not have the same love and value system. But Jesus knows what he's making. When he calls us, he knows what he's making. Amen? When he saw us afar, when he saw us from afar, he pursued us, came to us, because he knows what, he knows the quality that we have. He's confident. Amen? The fight over your life has already been victoriously won. Do you realize that? The fight over life and death has already been victoriously won. But the fight now for you is that for you to enforce and stand in what has already been won. You have legal rights. You have legal rights. Your heavenly father's given you heaven's backing. So the battle is not for life and death. The battle is to hold on to what's been given. For many others, it's life and death. That's why we appropriate. That's why the atonement means all that has been achieved in Jesus' death and resurrection through his blood. Through the, that's why the three speak, the water, the spirit, come on, and the blood. They all speak for us. What do they speak? We need to know because that's what we enforce. That's what we lay hold of. That's what we appropriate. That's what we stand in. What he said, I can say. What he did, I can enter into. What he said is mine, is mine. But I need to know. Hence why we need sonship. So we can know and we can do and we can become all that he has said. So Jesus, when he won the victory on the cross, he won the rights to value. He won the rights to love. He owns the rights to value and love. You know, holiness is a value. That's why he can demand it. Because he owns the rights to it. Amen? But in John 10, 10, I know you know this scripture. So, indulge me again. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I have come that we may have life and have it to the full. You can't get more of a clearer scripture than life and death. There. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So here we see, I have, uh, the thief comes only to steal. He only comes, so this is his purpose. He only comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Destroy what? Life. But I have come that they, that's you, and his disciples, they have life and have it to the full. Other translations say abundant. Yeah? So we have life to the full. Not just get life. But life to the full. We can have life or we can have life to the full. So many people are just happy to be alive, but I want alive and be full of life. So to be full of life, I need health. I need well-being. I need health in my mind. I need health in my marriage. I need health in my pocket. I need health in every aspect of my life. That's full. So I need to pursue the fullness. So I need to find out what is this life that Jesus came to give me and how do I obtain it to the full? I don't just want to get into, the, into salvation. I want the fullness of salvation. Hence, sonship. So we take it for granted that we have life. We really do take it for granted that life will always be there. So much so that we don't watch what we eat. We don't listen to the advice doctors give us. We don't listen to the advice that other people give us because we take it for granted, ah, I've got another 30 years in me yet. And when we're old, we still think, well, I've still got another 30 years in me yet. And in one sense, that's not a bad thing. But in another sense, 
it can cause an, uh, a futility, an, uh, you know, a laziness, an apathy. Yeah? When you're young, you eat what you want, don't you? And you abuse your body. When you're older, you know the consequences because you live with the consequences of eating what you wanted in your youth. True? When we get older, we don't always think about retirement. And then it comes upon us. And then we weren't ready for it, and it overtakes us. When you're young, you sleep in bed all day. True? You sleep in bed all day. 13, 14 hours is nothing to a teenager. It's true. I used to get up at 2 o'clock in, in the afternoon, come downstairs, have my breakfast, wait an hour, half an hour later, watch football, and have me, have me dinner. And I still wanted my tea. And I was only awake for about eight hours a day. But I still want me three meals. Don't come me. And then I wonder why I couldn't go to sleep at night. But this is, this is how we, we treat life. We don't value what God values. Time is given to be used. Not to be wasted. But that takes a certain kind of mentality to understand that. As you get older, you realize time is something that runs away from you. The clock seems to tick faster. Doesn't it? I mean, where's the days gone? I mean, we're in March. Dear me. You know, 2014. I remember 1968. Never thinking I was ever going to see 2014. My mother said that as well. But Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But Christ come to give us life and more, life more abundantly. Why? Because of the value and of the love that he carries in his heart for us. Satan doesn't want you to know this abundant life. He wants you to demean, undervalue, devalue, totally toss aside the value that Christ has got for life. So many people are abusing themselves because they don't see the value of life. They are plagued by the circumstances of life rather than the value of life itself. People do things to the body that you could not believe but because they're not in the right mind and because of so many other, other factors, they throw it away. Some people do everything they can to lose their life and God Almighty preserves it somehow by the grace. It's amazing. I have a friend who's a pastor in Germany and he decided that he wanted to topple the regime in Ghana. So he's, and he was in the military. So his plan was to steal a jet and fly it into the headquarters and take the whole regime out. That was his, that was his, his mentality, Brother Kwame. So he gets, he gets arrested, right, as, as, you, as you imagine, you know. I said, could you fly a plane? That's not the problem, he said. He said, crashing wasn't a problem. That was always my aim anyway. <laughs> that was his, <laughs> he said, if I got it off the ground, that was a bonus. Crashing was my aim anyway. And then they tried to poison him. And they made him drink poison. Didn't have any effect on him. This is as a sinner not knowing God. God preserved his life. When he didn't even know God, God still preserved his life. Isn't that amazing? When some men are trying to take life, God, all the time, life's working for you. No, my friend, you will become my witness. It's amazing. Job understood this. In Job 20, uh, sorry, 12, verse 10, he said, In his hand, meaning God, in his hand is life. Of every creature and the breath of all mankind. 
In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. God owns and holds my very breath. In fact, I think it's Ecclesiastes, he said, you know, he snuffs the breath of man out. He can take it just like that. I was telling, I don't know who I was telling, but I was telling someone only last week. A friend of mine told me this. He said, it's a true story. Listen to this. Listen to this. Might bring some sobriety into your thinking. Good friend went to pray for someone in their church who had a long-term illness. So they were, they were in bed. So they go to pray for the husband. And uh, as the wife lets him in the house, they go upstairs and they pray. Now, this could cause you some problem, but nevertheless, it's not my story. Okay? They go upstairs, they pray for the husband, the husband is healed. He sits on the end of the bed, they go downstairs, the wife goes upstairs, and do you know what the wife says? What about our benefits? What about our benefits? That's great, you being well, but what about our benefits? The guy falls asleep and dies instantly. The ungrateful woman comes to my mind. She won't get better, yeah. Can you imagine? He holds the breath. He holds the very breath. He holds our very breath. It's his to take and it's his to give. You take away life, you give life. This is the sovereignty of God right here. God has the right to do what a sovereign God can do. But we say, oh God, if you loved us, you wouldn't do these things. God is sovereign. He doesn't play to your rules. He's already set the rules in place. You play to his rules. He's a sovereign God. Job 33 verse 4 says, The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. So it's not just breath, it's his breath. He breathed into Adam. He gave us his very breath. Oxygen was created by God. Amen? So, where and when did God give man his life? Well, where and when did God give man his life? Let's just go beyond the garden for a minute. We know man was created there. But let's go beyond that. In Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you. In the womb, I knew you. Wow. So you're always there. You were always there. See, God only has to speak it and you're there. So when a woman is struggling for a child, I know this opens up many other questions, but that's not the point. I know that I was always in God's mind. My mother also had another child. Unfortunately, he didn't make it into the world. And I could have said, why him and not me? Why me and not him? I can, I could, that's an answer that I could never get. But it's a reality. <laughs> why do two children pass away and yet the third one survive? I don't know is the answer. I, I'm not God. And I just know that in the, in the sweetness of time, I'll see my brother. I'll see my brother. I want to know, I want to feel that emotionally and I also see that scripturally. But how I got into the world is a different story. 
But the fact he saw me beyond. Yes? He saw me beyond. Why? Because he, he said, Tony, you'll become my mouth on roller skates. He didn't tell me that when I was in the womb. But that was something that got revealed to me later on. But he holds my breath. He gives me my breath and he holds it. And it's something that can be taken away very easy. I can do that and he can do that. So we need, you know, we need to value our lives. We need to value our lives before I formed you. You know, in Acts 17 verse 24, it said, The God who made the world out of everything... In it is the Lord of heaven and the earth, and he does not live in temples built by hands, and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. It's him who gives all men life and breath and everything else. So in Jeremiah 1.5, as we just said, before I form you in the womb, I knew you. That gives me great comfort to know that God has always seen me, and I've always been in God's heart. I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. In other words, God, always being God, saw 2014, saw me here. Saw you here. That's good to know that our God, because of his love and his value, placed you here. He's not only got you into the kingdom, but he's provided a place where you can be fed. A table where you can be fed. A table where you can grow. Why? Because he has a work for you. Just like he's got to work for me. My work is to prepare you for your work. Or for our work. Amen. So, but I love Psalm 139. Oh, everyone go there, please. It's a powerful scripture for us. Psalm 139, verse 13. For you created me. You created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. Your works are wonderful. I know that. I look in the mirror, I see a stallion. I know that full well, he says. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. There you are, girls. The secret place for Empog. There's one place. The secret place. I'm sure we've covered that. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now that is a sovereign God. Wow. You and I find a partner, get it together, get, find an urge to merge. We don't know how many kids we're going to have when we get together. It's potluck. We could have three on our first attempt. Oh, we can get nothing on our first attempt. We don't know, but God knows. God knows. God knows what partner it takes for you to come to, to pass. He's got it all engineered. It's amazing, that, isn't it? On his diagram on the heaven, he knows he's got this helix of he will be with her, she'll be with him, they'll be them, they'll produce this. He's got the family tree of the whole world. Of the whole world. Never mind ancestry.com. Heaven.com. Boom. You're there. And he can go far back as Adam. Wow. Can you imagine that? He knows everything about everything. So, how many of you know there are two lives? There are two lives. 
And they're both determined by choices. So this life that he's formed, there are two lives. That is the physical, natural birth. And there is the spiritual rebirth. Remember Nicodemus couldn't get his head around this. How can a man be born again? Well, that's the Nicodemus. You tell me you're Israel's teacher. What a wonderful way of flicking it back. You're supposed to be the educated one. You're supposed to be able to help. You're supposed to understand the scriptures. And you're supposed to know that they speak of me. You're supposed to help a whole nation come into truth. But here you are, Nicodemus. You don't know why, because it's not yet been revealed to you. So he talks to him about how this physical birth is not what he's talking about. He's talking about a spiritual birth. So Nicodemus was a man. So we knew a man can't go back into his mother's womb. But Nicodemus is thinking on a natural level. So he has to, God has to open up his mind so he can see this is a spiritual situation. So much so, Nicodemus was a little bit embarrassed. That's why he went to him, Jesus in the middle of the night. So nobody could see him. What? Israel's teacher asking questions. Whoa. So Jesus enlightens him. He says, no, no, no. You must be born again. Born again of how? Okay, I'm glad you asked me, Nicodemus. Now I'm going to educate you. But there are two deaths. There are natural, there's a natural death that every one of us high, likely is going to experience. I say lightly. Why? Because we could be raptured. Second coming could come. And we could all be taken from glory to glory. Right? But let's just say that doesn't happen in our lifetime. Let's just prepare for the natural death. One day, the Lord Almighty is going to call that breath back. Your natural body will come to its end. And you will go into the sweet by and by. And there you cross over. You will get in the boat and you will cross over that time. Amen? You will leave the shore. You will get in the boat and you will cross over. When the angels come and get you, it's your time to go. You can't say, I've not finished yet. You're gone. Time. Out. Out of here. So there is the natural death when you will die. And there is also the spiritual death. When I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I died at the cross. My old life died so I could take on the new life. Amen? It is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. In fact, your, your baptism is a symbol of your death and your rising with the new life. Amen? The water speaking, is it not? The water speaking. Old has gone. Death, judgment has gone. You will no longer be judged with the world. Because you've been judged and you were found forgiven. You've now been sanctified. Okay? So, you're not with the same crowd. This is like when you get on that plane, he says to all the saints, you're going business class. You go left. You lot are going there. Right. We're not even going to call it economy. It's even worse than economy. This is worse than economy. Oh, by the way, the back end of the plane's going down. The top half of the plane's going up. So there's a physical separation from the saints to the sinner. Read your Bible. In Luke, the rich man of Lazarus, he sees this gap. There's consciousness. They're aware of where they are. There is a, an eternity. You know, when you're, dead, when you're dead, right, even 
as, an, uh, an uns, uh, as a non-Christian, you're still alive. Because if it's torment, if you're dead and you're finally gone, what was the point of being torment? So you must be consciously aware there's torment. So there's a part of you that's still alive and your, your spirit's still alive. Because what is the point of rescuing you from hell if you were gone? Do you understand what I'm saying? So there is no death. You just choose the nature of your death. Whether it's going to be eternal separation or eternal connection. Does that make sense? This spiritual life, this physical life. So there's two deaths, there's two lives. There's the natural life and spiritual life. The natural life will come to its end, but the spiritual life will go on. Why? Because heaven and earth will pass away, but my word lasts forever. In other words, we're in Christ. The word lasts forever. We're in him. This is the value of life. The value of life is that he wants it to go on forever. So he loves us enough, not only just to save us, but to give us a life that will go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And I don't know how long ever and ever is. But I know it goes forever. Right now, that's enough. Because in God, there's no time. 24 hours doesn't exist in heaven. You won't need a watch. Amen? So, God tells Israel in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 to 20. God begins to speak to Israel. He says, Israel, you better make your mind up what kind of life you're going to have. Do you want that eternal separation? Do you want curses? Or do you want blessing and prosperity? And this day, he says, in, verse, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, he says, this day, you've only got one day, this day. The day he speaks to you. This day I call heaven and earth as a witness against you. Wow. So now we have the grandstand of heaven all polarizing around what God is going to say to Israel at this moment. This is a very serious moment in Israel's history. He says, I call heaven and earth as a witness to you that I set before you life and death. Wow. Blessing and curses. Now, let me ask you, what do you want, church? you want life or death? Or do you want blessing or cursing? Come on. Well, of course you would. Everybody wants life. Now, what kind of life do you want is a different question. Do you just want to be alive? Or what kind of life do you want? A blessed life is what we want, right? So therefore, that then sets a requirement. What are you willing to do to get this abundant life? Because he's done everything he can. To give you this life. But he's setting before us a choice. What kind of life do we want? So he says, blessing, uh, life or death, blessing and cursing. Now choose life. So that you and your children, stop right there. So this life now is now going to go beyond you. This is why we must choose a specific type of life because it's going to affect the generations in our loins. Amen? These children, it's going to affect, have may not even been birthed yet. They may not have even been created, but God's seen them coming out of your lineage. Amen? So that you and your children may live. 
Yeah? And you, and that you may love the Lord, your God, listen to his voice, hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land. He swore to give you to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we can see life isn't just, isn't just about coming into the world. He wants to take them into blessing. He wants to give them the patriarchal blessing. He wants to give it to not just pass it from the patriarchs to them, but now he wants to pass it in continuance onto another generation and generations to come. Amen? Now, isn't it interesting that we are the product of generational thinking? Isn't it interesting that we are the product of generational behavior? Because the monkey that's been seen all these years, you can trace it back to your grand and your great granddad. True? Your parents saw their parents, they saw their parents, they saw their parents, and they pass it on too. And so Johnny goes, what the hell were they doing? What were they thinking? And then Johnny starts a new level. True? <laughs> so what determines this physical and this spiritual life in us? What determines it? I'll tell you what it is. It's called the resurrection. The resurrection enables us, empowers us to cross from the physical life to the spiritual life. The resurrection. Because the resurrection, the blood of Jesus, cancelled the written code. What was the written code? That sin and death will have its pleasure and will have its feeding. That everyone who sins and, and will die. The soul that sins will die. But through the resurrection, death was overcome, a way was opened up, a pardon can be received. So the resurrection is what enables us, even though we are in a physical life, we can have a spiritual life. And how long does a spiritual life last? Well, there's two answers to that. As long as, you, as long as you're prepared to follow it. And two, for those who do follow it, eternity. Because not everyone says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So we're told not to hold on and value the things of this world. Because the world has a love. The world has a value which is opposite to what God loves and what God values. You mix those two values and those two loves up and it will bring you disaster. It will not bring you blessing, it will bring you cursing. So let's just quickly look in, in Matthew 6.25. I tell you, do not worry about your life. So if he's telling us not to worry about our life, he's sincerely determined to tell us so that we will not worry about our life. What you will eat or what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear, how much worry goes into what we're going to wear? Ladies. <laughs> See, See, the man thinks, what am I going to drive? What house am I going to live in? What investments can I have? What boat can I buy? Eh? materialistic absolutely the woman thinks will the kids have enough clothes will the schooling be right will that school be right for Johnny and Sally she's thinking will we have enough money at the end of the week will there be enough food on the table she's thinking on a practical level 
men and women think differently. All, whichever way you look at it, it's still stress, it's still worry. It's still not life. So we spend all our life trying to obtain those things that when we get them, then when we have another stress, trying to maintain them. True? So we use our life to obtain things rather than the things that we've obtained give us life. And they don't. So he says this, what you were wearing is not, uh, sorry, what, what, sorry. It's, is not your life more important than food and bottom, your body more important than clothes? And women says, no! And then he says, John, where's John Matonga? I said to you the other week, learn the lesson of the birds. Did I not? Let's listen, let's look at the lesson of the birds. The little birdies. The little birdies that seem so volatile to mankind. Listen to what they say. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father, so that they, they do not sow or reap, or stored away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Okay? Are you, much, are you not much more valuable than they are? You have to answer that question for yourself. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes, ladies? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I will tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Wow. So what he's saying is that when he dresses the, the, the valley, in the lilies in the valley, it's beautiful. It's awesome. Set by heaven itself. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So don't worry saying, what shall I eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? And here's the issue. For, then he makes the distinction. For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. And here's the focus. If you want to keep spiritual life. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. All these things, right? What are these things? Not the boat. Not the boat. Not, you know, wardrobe full of shoes, ladies. The things you need, not the things you want. The things that you need to keep your life focused. If you're dreaming for an Armani shirt, you just might have to get a George one first. You might have to settle for George before Armani comes through the door. Yeah? Nothing wrong with George. Nothing wrong with George. Those who don't know what George is, is Asda's brand. Supermarket. But nothing wrong, with, nothing wrong with George. Thank God for George. He's clothing the fields. He's clothing the lily of the valley. I'm telling you. Amen? The believer can live by two worries and two concerns. In fact, Romans 6.22 says this, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. There's another one for you, Phil. And this results in eternal life. Amen? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Yeah? You know, life and death is, should say, life is full of situational ethics. Is it true? It is. 
Now, I'm not qualified to speak on a lot of those things. But many do. And many argue about situational ethics every day. Because they're very real in our world. And um, the Bible also speaks on a lot of these things. But the world doesn't want to turn to the Bible. Because it doesn't want to use the Bible as its moral code. It wants to use its own interpretation. They want to have the, there's no right and wrong. It's only what, what man determines is right and wrong. I'm sorry, God's love and value system overrides anything man can do. But very often, we as Christians can find ourselves in professions where situational ethics are very, very real. And if we are the one with the finger on the trigger, so to speak, we can influence the outcome. Amen? What do you mean, Tony? Well, let's just take euthanasia. Let's take suicide. Let's take war. And let me give you another one, abortion. These are very, very, you know, strong views on either side. But they all result in life or death. Do they not? They all result in life and death. Now, I'm not Dr. Tony this morning. But, you know, euthanasia argues the right to whether the quality of life or the lack of quality, should empower someone for them to make a choice as to whether to take that life or prolong that life. Is is that right? Euthanasia is something that is always in the headlines. People will go to Switzerland. Was that last court case in Switzerland or something? And now in Holland it's legalized. Is that right? So there is this, you know, it's very, very difficult to stand by and watch somebody you love and the lack of, and, the, and lose the quality of life. Very, very difficult when you're attached to them. So I'm not going to take the model I ground here either way. But it's a very, very real situation when someone whom you love and are valued and place value on is wanting to end their own life. But the trouble with this argument is that they want to replace God. At any time they want to take the situation, the circumstance, which is very real, very painful. But do we really get the option to choose life and death? If I take what I've just read to you about it's the Almighty that gives breath. Is it for me to take it away? I'm just asking the question. I personally don't think it is. But if I put myself in that situation, my concern and my love... For the person who I've loved. If I'm watching Carol and I love her and she's wasted away, how do I feel? I still have to go above and have a higher code. I personally think that as a Christian. Shoot me afterwards, but that's what I think. I think we must hold on to life the best we can. But I know it's extremely difficult. And I don't know how I would face that. I don't know if, if, if I'd be pushed when love... You know, is faced, it's just when we're faced with losing someone we love. Ah, man, it's got to be hard. But do I have that power of choice? Do I really have that power of choice? I don't know. If I don't talk about it, somebody else will. So I might as well talk about it in the church. We've been learning this morning that God gives us life. I don't know the medical profession 
some of those in here who are in the medical profession, you feel about it, but I'm just giving you what the Bible says. You have to make the decision ultimately for yourself. So, darling, I'll either send you to Jesus or I'll keep you away from death. I have to pray and believe. Now, there's many unanswered questions here. You know that, don't you? And I'm not just throwing it out cheaply as if I've solved it. I haven't. Okay? But we, it's about a legality. Do I really own life? Do I really own breath? I know I have a responsibility for my body. But do I have a responsibility for somebody else's? You know? Let's go to, very quickly. You know, you take Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler had no value for life. No love. To see, to do what he did to that nation is just beyond description. So we know there are men who will just cast aside life like it's nothing. What about war? War is a big one. You know, I I believe in the right to defend. I believe that right. But yet the pacifists would turn around and say, no, you're not allowed, it's legalized murder. Well, in one sense, you could look at it like that. But I also look at, I have the right to defend. But the issue of war is not whether I'll kill or not. It's the motive behind the government who send me into war. Am I there as a peacekeeper to preserve the life of other people? Is there a dictator on the other side who's going to just, if I, we don't stand up and defend, is he just going to railroad everyone's life and make their life a misery? Or is, am I going to get advantages, is there advantages out of this if I go in? Do I get land? Do I get resources? Do I get all those kind of things if I go and fight? So therefore now my motives are completely different. I'm killing for greed. It's amazing how many times when when God told Israel to go in, don't take the stuff. Another time he said, plunder them and give it away. The motives were completely different. Bible was full of war. The kings went to war. That's what got David in trouble. Not going. True? So is it in peace or is it in, is it to take advantage? What about suicide? Wow. Individuals see no hope. When they don't see no hope for the life, they think the only way is then to end life. And it's, it's, a, it's a dark place for them. It's a dark place for them to live in. But it's very real. And we've got to try and be close. And this is why you can't be, it'd be a shame to have someone in the church who's a member of our church and they feel that there's nobody in the church they can speak to. This is the value of a body. Somebody in a church wrestling with this individually and the reason why they might feel judged. But we must be vigilant enough to see the best we can. Some people hide it very well. But I'd hate to think that some, one of you lot was, in at home, uh, was at home one night and didn't think you were, there, was, there was nobody in this church you could speak to. That would be so devastating to my heart to feel that you felt you were in that place. We've got to do all we can to make sure life comes to us. Amen? Ultimately, we don't have the 
total control. Let me give you this, abortion. This is the silent killer. The womb is the most vulnerable place in society. It's secret. It's hidden. From everybody else. Until the pro-lifers get a voice. We pro-lifers must have a voice. Now the issue has always been circumstances. The child's going to inconvenience my life. It's going to set a whole thing into place that I'm not prepared. I'm not willing. It's going to mess my life up. Wow. We think like that. It's going to change our lives, but not mess me up. Yeah? It's going to inconvenience. These often become the motivating factors why people choose to have an abortion. I know there are other issues. I'm not covering the subject. I'm just throwing something out. Okay? But I believe in the power of Jeremiah 1.5. You were created in the secret place. I must do everything I can to protect that. True? And Psalm 139 clearly tells me that life was created in that secret place. Jeremiah says he knew me. And before he knew me, he formed me and knitted me in my mother's womb. And I love that. I love that about God. And that, if that excites my heart, then why shouldn't I encourage somebody else to preserve what's inside them? It should be the motivating factor that if it, if it causes my heart to skip, then I should bring that consciousness to somebody else. And let them make a different choice. Because the doctors will tell you, it's only tissue, it doesn't matter. And here we have the great deception. Satan comes to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life. So Satan knows that somewhere in a generation, there are seed bearers. There are revivalists. There are men and women of God who can turn a nation. You see it in the Bible where, where Herod called a whole generation to try and get to Christ. So he's willing to sacrifice thousands to get the one. It's the same thing in our society today. The enemy knows there's a mouth on roller skates somewhere. So what he does is he destroys a whole generation in the hope that he'll get the one and the two. Because the one and two can lead to thousands. Amen? So, it's very, very serious. We know that Jacob and Esau wrestled in the womb. True? So, he wants to come and kill, steal and destroy us so that he can take away our life. Now, what is all this coming to? Inconvenience is what destroys life. Lack of value I'm inconvenienced, so therefore I don't place any value on it. I need more than just da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da. I place little value on it because it inconveniences me. It interrupts, it disturbs my way of life. So I, if I put it to one side and don't deal with it or get rid of it, and that's, a half, that's an awful term, to get rid of it. I hate that term. To get rid of it. You can't get rid of it. It's not something you can just sweep under the carpet. God is watching. How many kids today 
are being aborted around the world. Man alive. And we must find our voice. We must be the voice. Amen. You see, when women go through those kind of things, like I say, I'm no expert. These ladies could tell, could stand here and tell you about this stuff. But how many ladies then silently go into depression, struggling with the guilt and the pressure that it's been compounded over years and it becomes an unspoken thing, but it's killing them on the inside. And when, even when Christians got life, it's death is working in them. So until that death's removed and brought out into the light and repented of, life cannot continue. Sin still brings death. Now you say, well, I was forgiven under the cross. And that's true. But there are things that you need to confess and say, Lord, get this out of my life. I carry this death working in me. In Psalm 90 verse 8, it says, You have set your iniquities before me, our secret sins in the light of your presence. You have set our, our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All, your, uh, all our days pass away under, uh, under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Listen to this. The length of our days is 70 years or 80. If we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and, excuse me, and sorrow. For they quickly pass away and we fly away. Ladies and gentlemen, if you were part of that, don't let your days end in a moan. Don't let your days end with moaning. Bring that which is hidden into the light. If it's been a secret, ladies, and you've carried it all the years, I encourage you in this season of transparency and purity to bring that out and bring it before the Father. Seriously. You say, lady, I don't ever want to go there. It's something I never wanted to do with. I'm urging you this morning to bring it out. I didn't say stand here and confess it. I didn't say that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is acknowledge that you've carried this pain, this hurt, this depression. This repression, you've, you've carried it. It was a silly act you did. Now bring it unto the light and confess it before your father and let life come into your spirit. You can't change what happened. But you can change the future. You can walk in the light as he's in the light. You can have life quicken your mortal body. But this is serious stuff. How many ladies in churches have gone through this? And no one's ever spoke to them. The battle is on for you and your children. Circumstances get in the way. So we let a generation go. We don't know if we let go of a Winston Churchill. We don't know what we was getting rid of. We don't know. You see, when I, my, my kids were born... When my first son was born, Scott, I sensed straight away there was an attack on my seed. Seven hours old, he gets stolen. That's an attack on my seed, on our seed. Seven hours. That's an attack on my... Can you imagine if that would have turned out the opposite? Can you imagine how bitter that could have turned me and Carol? 
Amazing. And then they have the other fella. Ben. Action, Ben. That's another attack on my seed. The potential of seeing a baby fall out of two stories in a hotel through a window and through a glass window at the bottom is devastating. So the battle's on. I'm thinking somewhere these boys better turn out flipping good. They better be nation changers, the scuffers. Putting mum and dad through that kind of pain. And then in my daughter, she chooses the wrong kind of relationship. Why? Because death is now working inside her. So if it doesn't get me and Carol, it goes to my kids. Why? Because, he's, because the very thing that God values, the enemy doesn't. The very thing that God loves, the enemy doesn't. So we see this battle for life and death. Blessing or cursing. Now we bring death by our own actions. But what about if it wasn't my action? Why should somebody else pay for what I did? I should pay for what I did, not somebody else. The baby in the womb didn't have a voice. Because it didn't have a voice, there was no one there to rectify the, the, uh, you know, the, the wrong. Finishing, John eight thirty two. Just a few scriptures finishing here. John eight thirty two. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. We've got to know the truth on these issues. We must stand and value what he values and love what he loves so that when we tell other people with the truth can set them free. Ladies, you don't have to live with internal torment forever. You can know the truth and the truth can set you free. There is forgiveness for that, for abortion. There is forgiveness for any sin. There is forgiveness. There is restoration. We can bring things. For the man who commits murder, there is forgiveness. There is restoration. Prisons every day are finding this restoration. They're finding this salvation in prison. Now, I know the victims don't see it like that all the time. I know that. But that, that's something that we can't deal with. We can only deal with the perpetrator. True? In John 14, 6, it says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. The resurrection, last scripture. Romans 8, 11, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who lives in you. Therefore, my brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And here's sonship. If we are led by the Spirit, then we are considered the true sons of God, if we're led. So, can I be led this morning to bring my secret sins out? 
can I be led this morning to believe that I can overcome my um, darkness in my own heart? Can I believe the Spirit, be led by the Spirit to believe that God will forgive me for the wrongs I've done? Can I believe and be led by the Spirit so that if I confess before Him, and I confess before someone who I can confide in, He is able to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I need to be led by the Spirit in order for that to happen. So that my life, so that God can put his hand upon me and quicken my mortal body. So what that happens to quicken the mortal body is he takes the death that's working in you and he turns it into life. He reverses what the enemy's been doing and now... He restores that part of your life with life. So if your kidney was bad, he whips it out, puts a new one in, or heals it and transforms it. So the kidney now functions and gives you the life it should always give you. If it's your heart, he takes it out or cleanses it and puts a new one in there so it can function and give you the life that the heart was always created to give. Go to any body part you want. So if your womb was used for the wrong thing. God can heal it, ladies. And gentlemen, if you're here and you were part of it, God can heal you. Because the two of you consented. Welcome to transparency and purity. Restoration. I tell you, we'll go for the whole lot. (laughs) Secret sins. It's time to bring them out. Let God breathe on them. And that life... That life, that life he created is the very life he wants to uphold. And he wants you. Jesus Christ is our life. Let's stand to our feet. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth rejoice. Oh, perfect redemption. What's the word? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. So come to the Father, that Christ still there, through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory. Why? For the great things he has done. Oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood. To every believer is the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes. The moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Oh, great things he's taught us. Great things he's done. And great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our worship when Jesus we see. That's what that life does. The holiness inside us allows us to see him as he is. Come on, let's raise our hands. I don't know. If you've, ladies, if you've suffered from that, if there's anybody in here that's suffered from that, I'm not going to ask you to come out to the front. But I'm going to ask you as we are all praying right now, is that as you've, as you've heard what the Holy Spirit has been speaking this morning, I urge you in the spirit to, to, to go and talk to the Lord right now. Talk to him and say, Father, you know this has been my secret sin. You know I've not wanted to deal with this. But Lord... You're calling me out. You want to give me life.
You want to quicken my mortal body. Father, I've been ashamed of what I've done and the guilt. And I've hidden it and I've swept it under the carpet, hoping that life and time would never discover it again. But Lord, you have breathed on my house. You have breathed. The God Almighty that gave life is now wanting to give me life. I recognize through the Holy Ghost that you're, you're beginning to uh, uncover all that has been covered. And right now, Father, I come to you. I, I, Father, I have been ashamed. I have a guilt. But Lord, I sense your love for me is greater than any power of guilt or any shame or condemnation that this world, my life or the enemy could give. Father, I appeal to your light. I appeal to your mercy. I appeal to your goodness. For it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Father, I ask you, shine your light into my darkness. Shine your light into my guilt. Shine your light, oh God, into my oppression, my depression. Oh, Father, bring me out. I'm your child. I'm your child. You can restore me. You forgive me. You mend the brokenhearted. Father, I thank you for your love towards me. It's higher than what I feel about myself right now. I thank you, oh God, that your mercy and your value system is much higher than what I once adopted. Lord, I want to come to your system. I want to come to your level. I don't want to stay at the level I'm at. But Holy Spirit, you've been kind to me today. You showed me the error of my ways. You've given me an opportunity for life to quicken, be quickened in my mortal body. Holy Spirit, I repent. I bring it before the altar of God. I repent of my foolishness, my stupidity. I repent in before you. And I ask you, Father, right now, flood me. Flood my, my heart with life. Oh, if that's you this morning. I encourage you to talk to somebody. Don't just keep it a secret. Let this, don't let the enemy breathe death.